0: I believe there are some magical healing powers that can happen for all of us through sharing our stories, and I'll take all the help I can get. Hi, everybody. Today we are turning the tables a little bit. My next guest is actually asking me all the questions today. She's a nutrition clinical coordinated dietitian at Seattle Children's Hospital and wanted to bring in a story to present to clinicians to help provide a more real-life and tangible perspective on what it's like to have a medically complex child. I hope this interview is useful in some way, and I want to sincerely thank everyone at Seattle Children's Hospital who's been involved in the care of my son, Ford. You're an amazing organization, and we are lucky to have you. Here's my conversation with Christy Olson. Hi, everyone. My name
1: is Christy Olson. And I have the amazing opportunity to interview Effie Parks. And Effie, do you want to introduce your podcast?
0: Hi, everybody. Effie. On October 31st of 2019, I launched my podcast called Once Upon a Gene. It's a podcast I started to have conversations about raising children with disabilities and rare disease. I wanted to just help create a community for uh, parents and families like mine. So far, so good. I really enjoyed learning and keeping up on the podcast
1: and the different perspectives From families and their personal experiences.
0: Yeah, it's never ending. I learned something new every single episode. Yes, so do I.
1: So thank you so much for this opportunity and for the work that you're doing. I think it's
0: incredible. Thank you. Right back at you. So I guess we could start by discussing how we know each other. Our mutual favorite place probably, Kindering. There's a program once the kids are around like 16 months old that you can actually take them out of the home setting with the therapists and bring them into a little mini preschool where the parents actually come to the class as well. So your son was in the same class as Ford for a few months.
1: Yeah, yeah. My son, Peter, was in uh, kindering. So Peter started kindering basically right when we brought him home for the hospital. Started different therapies, physical therapy, firstly, and then later on occupational and speech Therapy to help him meet his milestones, and then I had the amazing opportunity to meet Effie and her adorable and incredible son Ford at Kindred, which is a really special opportunity to be involved in the classroom and kind of see how that all worked with with your child before they start doing more independent. Did Ford also access outpatient therapies through Kindred? Yes, they well? they started coming
0: over to our house when he was about four months old.
1: I would love you to introduce Ford your son. Uh, Firstly, I want you to um, feel free to highlight
0: Ford as a person. What would you like us to know about Ford? Ford, like you said about your kid once, it's my favorite subject. Man, Ford is the brightest light and he's so hardworking and he's so smart and he's so funny. His laugh is constantly in my head. I hear it all the time. You know, he just has this spirit about him that brings you back down to earth. (laughs) You know, when you look at him, he loves being around his family. He loves being home with, you know, the comfort of his stuff and his parents and his grandparents. He loves weather. He loves being outside. He loves the wind on his face. He's really easygoing and he just never gives up. He never gives up. He's the hardest working person I've ever met.
1: I think one of the things that struck me, you mentioned just he's a light. One of the things that struck me when I first met Ford was how he just lit up in circle time in particular. Oh, His yeah. Whole face. Circle
0: time. Um, How'd I forget. And how how old is Ford? Ford turns four in June this year, so he's just over three Mm -hmm. and a half right now.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, Peter and and Ford are closer in age than I realized. Uh, Peter also turns four in June. He does? Oh, yeah. They're right (laughs) on. They're right on track together. Uh They're so cute. It's hard to believe. Four seems like it's actually like transitioning into kid territory, where before it's like he's just a baby. Totally. Because, I mean, how could he be four? Because he's still a baby. I
0: know. This last year has (laughs) been amazing, right? Like even just seeing their features change, their physical features, they do. They go from being a baby to automatically being a kid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's bananas. Yeah.
1: And so you mentioned that Ford started accessing therapies through Kindering at about four months. Do you mind kind of talking a little bit about that? I know that can be a hard subject. So uh, with all respect, I'd love to hear kind of what caused you to start accessing therapies through Kindering and how that experience was for you.
0: Yeah, Ford was admitted into Seattle Children's at about 3 months old with failure to thrive and when we left that visit after about a week, they had actually just set things in motion for us, I think, because I have no memory of making the phone calls myself. It maybe I did, I don't know, but I think Seattle Children's uh, played a huge part in connecting me to Kindering. They called me and they uh, set up an evaluation for Ford and I brought him to Kindering and you know these two therapists did a few different things with Ford. I was pretty emotional and not really not really understanding the whole scope of what might be going on with Ford at the time. And they were just so calm with me and so patient. And they didn't make me feel weird about how upset I was. And, you know, they just confirmed that Ford definitely needed therapy services. And that he qualified and they'd be contacting me. When they did contact me, they told me Ford also qualified for home visits, which was the biggest relief ever because you know, there's so many appointments that you're going to and you just have this new baby and you're dealing with postnatal stuff anyways and then all of the all of the emotional stuff around having a kid with complex needs. When someone said they were coming to my house for my appointments, that took so much burden off of my day to day and we were immediately set up with Speech therapy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, vision therapy. And then we kind of found our footing with which ones we really needed to focus on more. Cause that's a lot of appointments bringing into your house too, but on top of all of the other stuff that you have to go to outside of the home. So those wonderful people just started coming to my house and they love your kids. And that makes a huge difference with how the therapy goes. And I just couldn't be more grateful for them swooping in at such a difficult time for our family.
1: In my personal experience, um, when providers and therapists and people in healthcare are have that personal investment, it really is the secret sauce. It makes the difference for you feeling comfortable in that world and for your child in making progress.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's huge. If it's not there now, when you know, with what I know now, I just move on. I get someone else. I don't even... I don't waste one more hour on it. If I can tell that you're just really not into it or you don't really like your job or, you know, whatever it is, I move on. Do you mind
1: telling us a little bit about what Ford's diagnosis is and kind of what um, led up to that?
0: So Ford was diagnosed with something called CTNNB1, which is just the name of the gene actually that mutated. It's a random occurrence. It isn't something KCRI passed down to Ford. So that gene specifically is in charge of creating a protein called beta-catenin. It has lots of jobs. it, you know, it has to do with cell growth, cell reproduction, cell adhesion, and it affects, Many parts of Ford's body. There's cognitive disabilities. There's motor disabilities, you know, speech. Ford isn't able to sit or walk yet. He's nonverbal, things like that. It causes things like low tone in your body, which is, you know, low muscle tone and something called dystonia, which is actually the opposite. And it, it's mixed. So it creates a lot of uh, difficulty in getting around and just doing daily tasks random things that also are affected are his vision. They also have reduced pigment. Most of the kids have reduced pigment. So they're really sensitive to light and sun, really white hair, really white skin. For the most part, we don't really have a lot of information since most of the children are pretty young who are diagnosed. So we don't have a lot of future knowledge about maybe what can happen later. It was diagnosed or it was found in like 2012. So and we're still under about 200 people diagnosed with it. So there isn't a ton that we know yet. But we're growing a lot with the access to genetic testing, which is very cool. So hopefully, you know, we can just keep learning more about it and connect it to other diagnoses that are similar and maybe learn some more.
1: Is there adults
0: with this mutation or
1: perhaps adults that they're not aware that they have that mutation?
0: Um, I think there's three of them in our group. I think there's three that are older than 18. But, you know, yes, there are probably Hundreds of people throughout the world who have CTNNB1 who have just never been diagnosed. A lot of people are misdiagnosed with uh, cerebral palsy through CTNNB1. And also, if you got your genetic test before 2012 and you've never revisited it, maybe it just wasn't there when you got checked. And so you don't know that you have it. And I think that's the case for a lot of rare diseases. You know, the science that's coming out and the innovation in genetic testing is just, it's happening so fast all of a sudden. And anything before that, you would never know. Thank goodness for innovations in science and people
1: keep pushing in that area <laughs> for answers and information. I'm so grateful for their brains. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And so tell me about that genetic test. Was there any Um, challenges or difficulty that you had accessing that the test that finally gave you the information that you needed?
0: I didn't even know what genetic testing was at the time and I didn't know that I needed one but we did get referred to a geneticist by our pediatrician and on our first appointment she immediately said she thought she knew what Ford had but that she definitely wanted him to get a whole exome sequence because she was positive that there was something genetic underlying in what was going on with Ford. So that was my first experience with even knowing about genetic testing really. So I'm thankful to her for taking the initiative to do that so early on because I see so many families who have never had a doctor even bring it up and they learn years later through other parents to ask for it. So I'm grateful to our geneticist for taking control and getting that test done.
1: Do you mind just kind of discussing what a typical day looks like for you and Ford? I guess, like, what's what's the first thing that you guys do when you wake up in the morning?
0: Yes. First thing we do is give Ford his medications. He currently takes medications for his dystonia, which is the same medication that one would take if they had Parkinson's, actually. So his symptoms in his arms and his legs resemble what happens to a patient with Parkinson's. So they're very stiff. They're very flaily. I don't know if they hurt. They probably do. Sometimes he holds things and we think it's hurting. But anyways, we give him his medicine in the morning and then, you know, we hug every single morning. I get the biggest hug and he asks me to open the window and we look outside and I get him all dressed. And then the next thing I do is get his food ready. Ford's muscle tone also prevents him from really swallowing that well. And he's, he's just never been able to really get a meal down without gagging, vomiting, or just craziness. So he's G-tube fed. So I get his food ready and I plug it into his little tummy and I just cross my fingers for about an hour and a half that it doesn't come back up. (laughs) He's never really kept food down also. So it's been a struggle to figure out this happy rhythm to his medicines and him waking up and getting his digestive system started and going and then figuring out the speeds on your pump, you know, and what one can tolerate. So it's you know, we're th- almost four years into it and we're still like on pins and needles when we feed him most of the time. And then I spend a few minutes getting his foot braces on and his shoes on. Those aren't very user friendly. I don't know if Peter has had any, but Fords go up to his knees and they're they're pretty tough to get on. Peter had a
1: stint of wearing braces. Uh, they're called AFOs, right? Kind of common term, I guess. I don't know if that's a brand name or not, (laughs) that's what most people, I guess, in Purdue. Yeah. And so do you mind telling us a little bit about what they do? For
0: Ford specifically, um, his feet don't just like sit at kind of like a 90 degree angle easily. If you would hold Ford up to put him in a walking position, his feet would actually turn under and the top of his feet would be on the ground. So the braces kind of put his feet back in that proper position and set all the muscles and tendons kind of where they should be and train it in a way. And then it gives us the opportunity to actually put him on his feet, whether he's in his stander or in his chair to, you know, have that proper body alignment. So yeah, it just kind of puts his foot where it's supposed to be and hopefully prevents it from regressing to where you wouldn't ever be able to bend his foot again.
1: Yeah, Peter just had a brief stint with the ankle braces or AFOs to help with walking and climbing. Physical therapy was one of the biggest therapies for him in meeting milestones because of his, he had some issues with muscle weakness. So, yeah, they don't fit well in shoes. <laughs> and, well, any, yeah.
0: anybody who has an AFO, go buy a pair of Billies right now. That shoe is okay, life changing. Okay. Yeah. Uh, And it's adorable. But yeah, the whole top of the shoe opens up and you just place, you just place the AFO in it and then you just Uh zip it up around it. It's, it's like one of the easiest pieces of equipment Ford uses. That's awesome. They're amazing shoes.
1: I love that clothing manufacturers, especially mainstream clothing manufacturers like Target are making inclusivity or being inclusive um, a priority with uh, what they manufacture in making clothing and
0: shoes accessible as well. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. And it's just happening more and more. And yeah, shout out to Target for sure. And Billy's owner actually has a disability also. And I think was maybe the inspiration for the shoe. But yeah, it's so cool to start seeing kids like ours in photos, in advertising. And yeah, having things that we can buy that we don't have to mom-gyver, you know, like every single tool at home to use for our kids. (laughs) I love that too term mom diver. it's it's oh, from my friend cynthia awesome. but yeah i mean <laughs> even now we you know we have to do so many things to make a a product work for us a lot of the time yeah and most of the time yeah. it doesn't work and we waste our money but mm-hmm. yeah so it's so cool that they're starting to realize there's this huge demographic out there of people that need things and also spend money and it's nice to right. see our kids being represented right
1: that yeah representation matters <laughs> yes um, it sure does I love uh, there's two advertisements at Ulta and I think there was another one for Target where um, children in wheelchairs were just stopped in their tracks because they saw someone who looked like them and just having that in the advertisement almost brought me to tears. Oh yeah. Every time, you know, (laughs) yeah. I still stop (laughs) in Target if I see it. It's very cool. I'm proud of them. And so do you, you mentioned mom givering things. Is there, um, Certain equipment or supplies that you've had to try to make work for you uh, more than others. So many, so
0: many. But I think probably one of the biggest challenges that I had in the beginning was finding a way for Ford to sit. There are zero things on the market for a child that has low muscle tone that isn't under $1,000. You know, the chair, maybe he can get strapped into it, but it's not high enough in the back, so his body flops over. Or maybe the latches won't go over someone's legs who can't bend to get in the chair or whatever it is. Uh, So finding a way for Ford to sit and sit safely and sit in a proper position for his body to do his jobs, because you have to be in a fully supported position to be able to reach over and grab that toy and put that toy in the bin. It's not as easy as we think it is. So, yeah, I mean, I spent so much money trying to find a way for Ford to sit and nothing ever worked. It would sort of work sometimes. One of the best things that happened was this amazing woman named Trish at Kindering actually made a chair she, at her house with screws and wood, and she made Ford a chair just for his body. And we used that for two years until he grew out of it for therapy. There's just not a lot of stuff like that for for kids like Ford. Have you found any insurance reimbursement for this type of equipment? Yeah. Medical insurance in general is a huge challenge and a whole different topic. Eventually, I did get like a feeding activity chair for Ford after about a year and I still use it today. I'm so grateful that I have it, but it has different uses. It, it takes a really long time to get stuff like that approved. So you have to figure things out in the meantime. And you actually have to know about it. Like my therapists actually didn't even recommend it, mentioning that it existed. It was all through like seeing other families like on Facebook and what they were doing before I even knew that there was a chair like that. Yeah, it sounds like there's... A huge opportunity
1: for innovation in this area for medical equipment in particular and also making it accessible. Absolutely. I mean, so many things. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And so you mentioned that um, Ford uses a G-tube and a feeding pump to receive his nutrition. So do you mind letting us
0: know the technicalities of like what kind of G-tube and pump you guys use? Yeah. When he was very young for the first few months, he actually had an NG-tube, which is that little tube that goes through your nose. And you can't really keep that very long without it starting to cause problems for many reasons. So his G-tube was placed, which is sewn into your belly. There's a manual pump that goes with it. Some kids use a pump. Some kids don't. Some kids you can actually just push the food in with a syringe. And we can do that with like water for Ford. But yeah, he receives 100% of his nutrition from it. It's actually very simple to use. Once you have done it a couple times, you really just, you know, you measure out your food, you pour it in this bag that comes and you click it into his stomach with an extension. There are like these little extension things that are from the tube to the bag. And you figure out your rate and your dose and you press play. So really, it's a, it's a really simple way to feed forward. And I'm always excited to educate anyone when they want to learn how to do it because it's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to charge a family more for if you're babysitting them. It's just another way to feed him. It's not a more difficult way to feed him.
1: I love that you said that. Yes, it's it's a different way. What type of pump does Ford use? He
0: uses an infinity pump.
1: I love the way that those are designed. I feel like it's it was designed with families in mind to make it as user-friendly as possible.
0: Well, from what I've seen in the feeding tube groups, it seems like the most easy pump to use. Yeah. There's other
1: pumps like the syringe pumps that are typically used in um, the NICU setting. And there's um, other pumps that can be used in adults, but the infinity pump can be used throughout babies all the way to adults.
0: Yeah. And it's really convenient. One of our old babysitters made us this little backpack and she tied in a little strap in there and we just put his food bag in this backpack and, you know, secure it. And we can go anywhere with it. I put it on the back of his wheelchair. I put it on the back of his stroller. You know, we go anywhere with it. I'm not tied to a medical pole anymore, which is amazing. So I love her so much for making that for me because, yeah, it doesn't stop us. We just pack around that little backpack and it's no big deal. That's really great. You talked about it sounds like kind
1: of a dynamic and fluid relationship with figuring out what Ford will tolerate as far as rates and amounts.
0: Yeah, that's a struggle still with Ford and also just, you know, providers trying to help me figure it out. I think it has to do with obviously Ford's condition and we haven't figured out the why and we haven't figured out how to master it. It's definitely a large stressor for us still. He doesn't gain weight very much. He's been the same weight for like two years. I mean, he's gained a pound, I think. We're constantly worried about his nutrition and is he getting enough calories because then half of them come up and, you know, it's it's a struggle. As
1: far as the equipment that Ford uses, so the G2 pump, wheelchair, and then different equipment for stand... You had a stander? Mm-hmm. Yes, we have a
0: stander uh, that Ford's really good in now with our... With our shoe AFO combination, um, he can can be in that stander for a couple hours now. As long as I keep him busy, he will stay in that thing, which is amazing because before, you know, it was like maybe 10, 15 minutes and he couldn't tolerate it anymore. So he's getting stronger and his equipment is getting better. Getting him on his feet is really important.
1: I was just curious if you don't mind uh, kind of talking about what family meals look like or what holidays look like and how how you're able to make Ford a part of that, even though he's not eating food at the table.
0: That's not as hard as it used to be, but that's a hard one. We have a chair that Ford sits in at the grandparents' houses when we have family dinner. And uh, he just sits next to one of us, typically a grandma's because he's obsessed with them. Um, And he sits in his chair and, you know, we plug him up. his G-tube at the same time. And most, if not always, Ford gets to have his iPad while while we're at the dinner table. And he gets to watch videos of whatever he wants. You know, it's typically videos of his grandma or whatever. And we eat dinner and sometimes he wants a taste of food. And that's so exciting. Sometimes he'll take it when it's offered, depending on his mood and how he's feeling physically. So sometimes he actually can participate, which is You know, it's just fun, but mainly he likes to just be around us and be at the table with the family, but we do give him his iPad to keep him busy because we could be sitting there for, you know, an hour and a half sometimes all chatting, but everyone is really good at, you know, making Ford feel like he's at the table. I feel like he joins us just differently than most kids different way of
1: receiving his nutrition and a different way of being a part of the group but still a part of the group and still getting his meal in a different way yes um you mentioned ipad some children who are nonverbal. Um, utilize iPads for communication. Is that something that's kind of on the horizon or that they've touched
0: on before? Yeah, we we recently got an application called prolico to go which I'm still learning and we're all still learning. Ford really likes it. He thinks it's funny because he can press all the buttons and then it'll speak back to him. He loves that. There's also another boy in his class who uses a speech to talk program too. So I think that they're both really learning from each other a lot. But yes, Ford's means of communication for other people will probably largely be this app, but we're still learning it. It's kind of, it's kind of complicated, but I think it's a it's a really amazing resource and Ford's responding to it.
1: For people who work in healthcare, how can we come alongside you and kind of share that burden? Um, how can we provide you with tangible help and validation that is meaningful and helpful to you? I think I know that's like five questions at once,
0: but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, what what would have been really helpful for me in the beginning again was like this sort of person, even if it was just like this one special packet of here is this. I know your kid is going to have a lifelong struggle. This is this is every resource locally that can probably help you in some way. Here are a couple links to some parent groups. Here are some things that you should apply for because it could take years. I guess just like a comprehensive like take home packet to parents like me to know some of our next steps and maybe not necessarily in order of importance. Having this packet would have been super helpful to know. Where the heck I was supposed to go from there. You know, I think in appointment settings in general, same with therapists, you know, like it really matters when we feel the empathy from our doctors and our healthcare professionals. It matters to feel listened to. It matters when you read my son's chart before I come to my appointment. It matters when you know his diagnosis before you come into the room, it matters to me when you think outside the box because our kids aren't like most of the kids that you're treating. And I know they're so busy. I know doctors are so busy and they're so crunched and, you know, I don't even know what their life is like. But small things like that, I guess, feeling like we're also a teammate, right? Like I know my son and I know all of the other kids and I know as much about this disorder as anyone in the world knows, because there's one page of description about it. So I think listening to us, us and exactly what is going on and what we think would help. And including us in our care plan would be awesome. But yeah, I mean, I think this really goes down to like how much time a doctor has in a visit or how much time they have to prepare for your visit. But things like that would make a huge difference for families. I know for me it would. Even just like, hey, I know of this podcast. They talk about kids like yours. Maybe you should go listen to it. That would have been huge for me. You know, I was just on Google trying to figure things out i didn't know facebook groups existed either so like when i would google things it would pop up and then i saw groups you know like maybe maybe having just a handful of these things that you could give to a parent who's in the thick of it could really help them at home i want doctors to give me hope and encouragement and you know uh, i want them to have a positive outlook on my son's future and i want to be motivated by them too You know, I want them to be like, I definitely see Ford doing this or whatever it is, you know, like being on my team on a human level, not just my doctor.
1: Connecting as people and acknowledging Ford as a person.
0: Yes. And, you know, maybe your suggestions are, I really think you should actually hit this kind of therapy harder because I'm doing all of them because I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And what if I don't need this part right now and this part right now? Because developmentally, maybe this is what really matters. Like, I would like to know that. I would like you to look at my child and see where you think he's going to flourish right now or what's going to help him in the long run more. You know, we don't we don't really know anything. We're just like trying everything to, you know, take the best care of our kids. Yeah, absolutely. And, and when and I say we, I mean I. I don't know anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You are taking on this and doing everything because what if that one thing is the thing that's really going to help them? Yeah. So you, of course, you have to go for all the things. Totally. Um, but at the same time, it's all the
0: things. It, and that it is, is it so is. much. It's, I know. It's madness. It's a conversation that I would like to have. It's something I would like them to think about for the appointments, even if it's just an email that they shoot me later because they were thinking about it or, hey, I saw this other kid and it reminded me of them and it was working. Everyone's so busy. I hear you
1: saying as far as um, how people in healthcare can kind of come alongside you is um, just being real and knowing your son, knowing what you his diagnosis, what you guys have been through, uh, what you're going through on just a human level, as well as kind of coordinating, helping with connecting. Yes. So instead of siloing into the different departments, being someone who's going to reach out and coordinate that communication.
0: Yeah. And and coordinating among each other, right? Like most of the time I can't get, I can't get any of Ford's doctors to talk to each other. So it's like each appointment I'm explaining this and this and this, and then, you know, it just it wastes a lot of time. It would be nice if, and maybe this happens, I don't know, but it doesn't happen for me at this point. Our F- Ford's providers all talking about next steps or what they're doing now? That collaboration would be so ideal. <laughs> we dream about
1: that. As far as the other equipment, like feeding equipment and, and those kind of things, Is there any challenges that you have had interfacing um, with that, like making sure you
0: have what you need and and figuring out other than the feeding? That kind of goes back to my insurance. Um, My insurance has a lot of problems. It actually doesn't cover food for Ford, which is really mind blowing since they agreed that Ford can't eat and that he needed a major surgery and he has a G tube, but they didn't tell me what to put in it. And they didn't give me anything to put in it. So that really scares me for someone who maybe has less resources than I am, whose son is just given a G-tube and then they're left with nothing after that. That makes no sense to me. And, you know, that's my healthcare care company's problem that hopefully I can be a part of finally fixing at some point. But that's my major struggle. And that's my only struggle with that particular uh, piece of equipment is I rely on other parents in the area who have insurance that covers their kids formula to pass along what they haven't used. Some of them get extra, some of their kids, you know, graduate from their G tubes. And I literally drive all over Western Washington to pick up food to feed Ford because my insurance won't give it to me. So that's a struggle. And thank God for all of these amazing families who know how treacherous the healthcare system is, you know, in getting things for our kids. I don't know what I would do without it. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, I just got a Vitamix. And so, yeah, I guess I could blend his foods, but like, how do I do that? (laughs) And like, how do I, how do I know the proper nutrition stuff for that? And how is that super realistic all the time? So yeah, getting food, huge challenge. And that's my insurance company.
1: That's unfortunately becoming more and more common with different insurance
0: Man. It's bananas to me that you can give a child a feeding tube and then do nothing. That doesn't connect to me in any way.
1: And for people that may not have the awareness that the real issue with not having insurance coverage for this tube feeding is cost, right?
0: So, yeah, my DME actually made a mistake last month and sent me the food that I've been trying to get approved for three years. And I got a shipment of it and the bill was $860. And that was one month supply of food. I mean, it doesn't cost that much. (laughs) But yeah, like, that's also a huge thing, right? Like, we can't just buy it.
1: It's not like going to the grocery store
0: and getting bananas. No. (laughs) (laughs) And especially when your kid does have, you know, such complex needs in whatever way it is, like, how do you know that you can just blend something and put it in his belly and they're getting exactly what they need? And how, you know, you don't know anything about their GI system when we don't know anything about their rare disease, really? Like, I don't know. It's it's really complex. And the whole, the whole thing is just so multidimensional that I don't know if I answered your question.
1: Thank you. You did. It's so valuable, I think, for healthcare providers to have that uh, perspective of what it looks like, what it really looks like, um, so that we're not, because I feel like we can have the, there's this potential to kind of get stuck in the rut of whatever your department is or whatever your role is. And I think it's so valuable to see that interconnected reality of what all of these departments look like altogether when families are having to access them to care for their child and um, services. And
0: Yeah, I don't ever get anything suggested to me at doctor's appointments. I suggest it to them by learning through other families and that's not really that realistic for most people to be online and making connections with people and asking questions and finding really what works and actually having the guts to bring it to your provider. That's an excellent point. Yeah, not not
1: all families have that comfort level. Uh, it might be, you know, culturally or whatever um, to, to speak to the doctor or the person that they view as in charge, so to speak, with with what they f- they want to ask for, for their child or need. We kind of already touched on this, but that you appreciate most uh, within the healthcare system or what really is helpful or, or most appreciated uh, by you and your family?
0: First, I'm really appreciative that I have healthcare. <laughs> I may complain about the company I have more than anything that I complain about, but I'm grateful to have healthcare. I'm so grateful for the nurses <laughs> involved in healthcare. Really, number one, I think that they are such a beautiful bridge for patients and families and they're so empathetic and they're so helpful and a lot of them go out of their way to make sure you do know about something or to give you something that you can take home that's going to be useful for your child. They're amazing and I don't think they get enough credit. Mm -hmm. I agree. So I really love them. Our problems aren't just You know, while our kids are kids, most of us with kids with rare disease, like it's it's a lifetime. It's beyond 18. And I really appreciate things that are set in motion to help you succeed later on, right? And I've seen a lot of these things at like children's hospital recently of camps that you can get your kids into and things to help them transition into adulthood. Like those things are there and I'm really grateful for stuff like that that's being put in place. I'm grateful for doctors when they take the initiative and they you know want to seek out a diagnosis and they want to go get a whole exome sequencing test on your child because they know something's going on. I'm grateful when doctors and other healthcare professionals actually just stop and think about it and don't just go through the motions of, you know, seeing patients and burning burning their tables, you know, back to back. I really appreciate it when they take the time to look at the big picture and to create even just, you know, a healthcare plan for like the next year. When you do say, "Oh, you know, I I know this other kid that this doctor saw, I think that I think that Ford should see that doctor. There's just so many veins, right? That when it when a doctor takes the time to connect you somewhere else because it's gonna help, that's huge because we have to do that legwork on our own. And yeah, it's another part of you making us feel validated, right? And helping us, you know, do the best job for our kids. So it's really awesome when when doctors take the initiative to just help you, I guess, beyond the appointment. And like I said, I know they're so busy, but sometimes it's just a little thing. Sometimes it's just small. But yeah, helping me fight for my kid, I've had some doctors uh, agree to like write these letters, right? And I know that's on their own time. I know they're not necessarily at work when they're writing a, an appeal letter for Ford. Doctors who do that, you have no idea how amazing that is for us. And how it makes us feel seen when you help us get the resources that we need for our kids. We really appreciate it. And I don't take that for granted at all. So, yeah, when you help us help our kid, it means everything. And like I said, I also really appreciate it when you read up on things that, you know, are coming into your office and when you know a little bit about CT and MB1 when I'm in the room. Um, So we don't have to spend all the time with me explaining it.
1: Thank you so much for laying out kind of just the, the basics of what, what it looks like, your daily experiences and um, the challenges and, and the gifts and just your daily, what, what it looks like for you. I think um, it's, it's really valuable for people that don't, they don't know what that looks like and even people that do having that personal perspective.
0: Yeah, uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. I hope that it helps in some way. And um, you know, other parents are so much further along in this journey, and and if not further, just better. So I hope I can add something to it. But you know, I'm constantly learning from these families every single day, and I don't think we ever stop learning how to best kind of take care of our kids. You know, anyone. Thank you for bringing this to other people's attention in the field so we can all maybe start a conversation about it, even if it makes one doctor do one thing differently that might change some family's life. Thank you for um, being so
1: generous with your time and um, letting me kind of uh, piggyback on this amazing platform that you have built um, to give Family is a voice that may not have that or may not feel like they have that.
0: Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm so grateful that I have the opportunity to even be here and do that. So thank you, Christy. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're so welcome. I'll talk to you soon. I hope you've been enjoying this podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this show with your people. And please make sure to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also head over to Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to connect with me and stay updated on the show. If you're interested in sharing your story or if you have anything you would like to contribute, please submit it to my website at effieparks.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for supporting me along the way. I appreciate you all so much. I don't know what kind of day you're having, but if you need a little pick-me-up, Ford's got you.
1: (laughs)